Well, how's your uh, film festival been so far? Good. All right, we screened last night, and uh, we had a sold-out theater and the mic upstairs, and there was some spillover into the ray, and that had about a dozen people or so. So, okay. yeah, the turnout was nice. It was good. And there were a couple other filmmakers present in the block, too. So, that was good. All right. Should I scoot in closer? Uh, yeah, that's that's fine. They'll, they'll probably... No, but it should pick up pretty well. Um, I mean, my normal my normal uh, first question would be, what inspired this film? But I mean, it, if you watch the film, I think it's pretty obvious. Yeah, what inspired it? This whole idea of you know discussing film and media in general was as commerce, as yeah. content, as yeah. opposed to an actual art form. Um, what was it about Tetsuo, the Iron Man, that uh, made that sort of uh, a way into telling this story? Well, I think uh, I think Tetsuo, the Iron Man, is a such a unique, incredible, like do-it-yourself, scrappy kind of film that it that it defies being boxed into content. You know, mm. it's more than that. It's it's an experience to both make the film for the filmmakers and to watch it you know it's truly unique and uh, that's something I strive for with my own films I try to do something unique with my work that helps it stand out against the crowd yeah and I mean I, I like the use I, I like the way that you use dark humor in your movies as well as elements of horror elements of genre um is or is horror and genre kind of where you tend to gravitate towards as far as some of your favorite movies, or is that just kind of the genre that you've found yourself in as a filmmaker? I try to find inspiration in all genres, but mainly, I mean, I love uh, I love Monty Python a lot, and I love Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I love the use of violence and blood in that movie to, mm-hmm. to a level of absurdity so the, the, the violence in my films the gore in my films I always am keeping in mind for it to be funny not so much to scare people I'm not that interested in like scaring my audience I want to make them laugh with the over the top uh, things that are happening on screen mm-hmm. but, but that being said I mean I love a lot of horror from uh, the 30s and 40s um, lots of shadows and lightning bolts and things like that. I, I do love when a film is very, um, its uh, aesthetic is very uh, obvious and yeah. artificial, like it's almost theatrical. So a lot of my films have, situ- have scenes that take place in black voids with use of fog or uh, practical trick photography effects and miniatures and things like that and uh, this film obviously implemented uh, some stop motion animation and a lot of and of course the costumes of, uh, of uh, the lo-fi man the robot the uh, the stormtrooper that's in the underground yeah. thing so yeah I mean I love uh, I love when a film is very aware that it's a film I'm not too too interested in realism you know right personally I think there's a lot of great films out there that, that do that, but it's not something that I'm I'm interested in doing in my own work. One of the things I think I appreciate the most in this film is that it 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 plays off of the idea of dystopian science fiction as well. 
Uh, were there any particular films in that genre that inspired you in this one? Uh, yeah, THX 1138 mm-hmm. and uh, 1984. <laughs> we both looked at uh, Blake Myers and I, the co-director. We both looked at like stills and scenes from both of those films. So we thought uh, THX 1138, with everything being so stark white, was uh, what we were aiming to do. However, we didn't want to go stark white. We wanted to go gray because the more stuff is diluted and 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 whatnot is like. It's, it's more gray and like the mush they're eating is like off color and the jumpsuits they're wearing are all gray and uh, yeah Blake was very conscious of that when making the, uh, the pipes and the sign that says this content is made from 100% recycled content you know we thought that was a, a, a pretty funny thing to inject in the, in the film because so much of what's out there now is just remakes or reboots and this and that so it's just constantly recycled material yeah. and it's losing its uh, its potency you know yeah and I, I think that's one of the things that I, I I enjoyed about this film is the fact that it's it's not only playing off of this larger conversation that is being had about content versus looking at art as art versus looking at art as content to be sold but it also is discussing the films itself. It's discussing the landscape of film itself. And I mean, you know, I it's certainly, you know, I mean, there's certainly there's certainly something that you definitely notice, even especially on the major studio levels, uh, even with something as popular. As Especially with something as popular as Marvel, you're kind of looking at this. Well, it the ideas behind maybe the initial ideas behind those stories when they were conceived of as kind of getting diluted. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not against comic book films. You know, 1989's Batman and Batman Returns; those had a big impact. Oh yeah. Because there was a director behind it who had a, a production designer and they had a look that they wanted to do and they they chose different angles and shots. They had a vision. Mm-hmm. And um, what I'm noticing now is I feel like Marvel and Star Wars, they're sort of following how television is made. Yeah. Where television is the medium of the producer and the writer, not so much the director. So all of the Marvel films look very similar to one another so it doesn't matter if it's Peyton Reeve directing it or if it's um oh gosh what's the guy who directs the Spider-Man films John Watts John Watts yeah so you know those can be swapped out you know for anybody yeah um but when you watch the Spider-Man films that Sam Raimi made they are very unique and they look like a Sam Raimi film they don't look like a Marvel film it's yeah. Sam Raimi going into the Marvel universe so I, I confess I did not see the multiverse of madness. I was excited that he was a part of it, but from what I gather, it kind of he sort of diluted his own style in order to you know go with the the bigger picture of what right. Marvel's doing. No, and I, I I think that is that is a complete that is an excellent point. I mean, you know, look, I'm I'm from that generation too with like the first the Tim Burton Batman's and. Donner, Superman, and all those films that in the original Star Wars trilogy, where it's like 
you can tell that there are minds beyond just making money and they're the driving forces of those movies and uh, you know it's we are starting to lose that and I mean you know even even if the Burton Batman movies are not necessarily my favorite Batman movies right now I do appreciate the fact that it's like Burton Burton brought his own ideas brought his own imagination to it in a way that feels very much in yeah too exactly those aren't I I don't feel that those are comic book like he's not adapting comic books he's he's going into the world of Batman and making his own Batman you know basically I feel like uh, Batman Returns is on par with The Bride of Frankenstein being such a quirky movie with quirky characters and introducing new villains and going way off the text, you know, the, of yeah. the original Frankenstein film. So that's kind of how I see his interpretation of Batman and Batman Returns. So You've already talked about some of your uh, inspirations for uh, content the lo-fi, man. Who are some of your inspirations in general? Oh, uh, well, um, I do, well, let's see. From a more conventional standpoint, you know, I grew up watching Indiana Jones and Star Wars, so that idea of escapism is always something that's kind of deep, deeply programmed into me. Um, so that's why I'm not really interested in uh, doing really realistic kind of films. Um, but as I grew older, I got acquainted with the quirkiness of the Coen brothers and David Lynch. So I decided to start getting a little more weird with some of my uh, ideas. And uh, it, it was nice, and, you know, going to film school and uh, one of my professors, Vincent Guagenti, who became a dear friend of mine, he was—he opened my eyes to B horror films by Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi, and uh, so I find inspiration from a lot of uh, a lot of different kinds of films. You know, this is a complete opposite of the spectrum, but there's a Paul Schrader film called Mishima: A Life in Four Chapters, and the aesthetic of that movie when they when they go into his uh, Yukio Mishima's books. It's very theatrical and very artificial, and I was really drawn to that. I, I like when the uh, design of a film brings attention to itself, you know, that yeah. it's not in a real-world setting. It's more of a fantasy. So lots of my work, including stuff that dates back to, like, 2008, I've been doing stuff with killer robots and monsters and stuff like that all my, all my life. And uh, I'm always, like, interested in, like, shooting on stages with like artificial lighting or even just put your character behind a black void for budgetary reasons but if you add some fog and some lights all of a sudden it looks like you know it has uh, this really cool like silent movie aesthetic you know the transformation scene in, in uh, Content the Lo-Fi Man obviously pays homage to Tetsuo the Iron Man but we were also thinking about films by Guy Madden who does a lot of stuff filming on stages with Super 8 film, and it all looks very artificial, and, and, and the editing is, like, so rapid fire. So we find inspiration from all kinds of things, from photography, from art, from music. You know, classical music is always a, a big inspiration to me. Soundtracks, like film scores, you yeah. know? I overheard you talking to Jeff how you love film scores and that was what I listened to growing up as a kid I wasn't normal I didn't listen to like the top 40 or anything like that yeah my way of rebellion was like listening to uh Danny Elfman and James Horner and Jerry Goldsmith and um 
you know, that's the other thing, going back to, like, the sort of dilution of how things are. Like, you listen to the Batman score of 1989, and it sounds, like, very operatic, and it's very big and bombastic. And, you know, sometimes Danny Elfman can go back and do that, but I don't know if it's because people aren't looking for that anymore or because his style has evolved, but... You know, I noticed like composers like Alan Silvestri and Danny Elfman and James Warner, their their sound changed over the years. Like yeah. as their careers, you know, kept going. I feel like the one who more or less stayed true to himself and his, his style was like Jerry Goldsmith. You yeah, because Jerry Goldsmith started experimenting with synthesizers in the '70s, but also keeping with uh, you know a symphony. And then he did that all the way to the end. You know? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right about that. I mean, you know, with Elfman, I, I do think it's, you know, because even even in something like that, his Batman scores, even in his Raimi, even in the scores he did for Raimi for the Spider-Man movies, it's like you can tell some of that distinctive Elfman-esque quality to it within the framework of a larger yeah. Symphonic score, and so, but yeah, you're you're right. He he's less asked to do that more idiosyncratic style yeah. than he was when Burton was in his his peak. Yeah, and um, but yeah, I mean, even yeah, I mean, you mentioned Horner. I mean, Horner's I I love Horner, but he's also a controversial choice because of the fact that he really. He, he borrowed heavily from Boy, himself, and but, I still much, love, yeah. but I still love his music. Well, what's so fascinating, this is the silver lining I see about somebody like Horner. First of all, I love Horner. Yeah. Like Star Trek II, they're at the con, Aliens, you know, fantastic scores. What's really exciting as a person who loves like classical music and soundtrack music is you start to find out, oh, he's, he's borrowing from Prokofiev. Yeah, and then you find that Prokofiev piece, and you're like, "Oh my God, this is this is awesome too!" You know, so he's this indirect gateway to other to the classical music that inspired him. Yeah, like uh, there's so many like there's cues in Braveheart that harken back to Prokofiev's like Alexander Nevsky score from the from the 20s. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> he's he's cool like that, and and John Williams is a little like that too. You know, if you listen to the 19, if you listen to the, the original Star Wars score. There's parts that sound like Stravinsky, oh God, the Rite yes. of Spring. Yeah. So like, it's fun. It's fun to find those inspirations. Be like, oh, that sounds like this classical piece, or this sounds like you know. So that's cool. But yeah, I, I agree. When he starts to borrow from himself, you know, when you when you listen to Bicentennial Man and A Beautiful Mind, and you're like, they kind of sound the same. Yeah. You know. So it, maybe some are just more rush jobs than others. You know, because it's their job too. So I'm sure they need to. Oh yeah, you know, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, even even every every composer does. It. It's not like it's not like it's he's he's just been the one that most people tend to think about. Yeah, but I mean, every every composer does, it. and it's every not, filmmaker does too. Yeah, every filmmaker exactly. does too. I'm guilty of it. You know, I see things and I'm like, I see something in a movie and I'm like, I want to try that. I want to try and put that into my film. You know, uh, in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when they open up the ark and the ghosts come flying out, those are all puppets from a, in a fish tank that are made of like cloth or tissue or whatever. So I was like, I want to try that. So I made a film with ghosts, and I just made little tissue puppets and swam hmm. around a tank. So movies and, and music, they're they're 
just fantastic like encyclopedias of information to grab from and get inspired by and try yeah. to experiment yourself. You you mentioned the uh, Cone, Cone Brothers, and the thing is, it got me thinking. It uh, talking about content for a little bit. It's like that opening sequence where that opening where first they're doing the video about Tetsuo, and then it's taken over, and it basically becomes content. That feels like a very Cone Brothers esque like piece of absurdism. Oh, thank you. So that's great. <laughs> um, it, it's it's really enjoyable to uh, think about. It. Those, those terms, and then Monty Python, of course, and yeah, the like, idea of the absurd, yeah, over overemphasis on vile the violence that goes way over the yeah, top, the uh, correcting of his funny. language. Every he gets yeah. shocked every time he says <laughs> film instead of content. Yeah, so. but uh, no, this is it, this. I can't remember. Was this the uh, this? No, it, obviously, it's not the first. Uh, first film festival it's been at? No, it world premiered at the Midwest Weird Fest in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Okay. And then it played in San Francisco at the Unnamed Footage Festival, which is kind of like a found footage festival. And they programmed our film as a, a hybrid movie, where it starts out as like a documentary, and then it turns into something else. And then we played at the Boston Underground Film Fest. We just screened at the Florida Film Fest, and this is now our, our fifth screening of the okay. film. Um, how many... Because I know... Uh, I know I saw one of your uh, other shorts here in 2019. Oh, was that Williams Tips? Williams, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, many, how many times have you been to Atlanta, the um, film festival? As a filmmaker selected, I believe it, this is the number five. This okay. is the fifth time, yeah. I started, a, I screened in 2014, 2015, 2016, 2019, and 2023. Okay. What, is, what are some of the uh, what, are, what are some of the big changes? Are there any changes that you've kind of seen in the festivals you've well, come I, to see? Over I the think year? this year has some of the best programming in, in the in the entire like time I've been here. I the the programming is so diverse that there's literally something for everyone. You know, there's uh, I saw one of the. Uh, the first things I saw here was a, a movie by Soda Jerk called Hello Dankness, and it's this sort of remix film where they take all these clips from all these films and they strung together a story about what yeah. happened from 2016 to 2020 um, in, in our country. And uh, they were digitally inserting things to like help, help the story. Like They took the movie The Burbs... And they sort of built the movie around that and started incorporating like clips from American Beauty and This Is the End and Nightmare on Elm Street. So that was a really cool thing. And I, I don't know if I would have seen that, you know, at, at a previous iteration of the festival. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going to go see uh, Quantum Cowboys, which looks like another like put together, do it yourself kind of feature using all these different aesthetics. There's other science fiction and genre bent stuff, which is it's really cool to see. You know? I will say it's like that's that's some of the uh, stuff that I've been. That is, this is my fifth year in a row run uh, covering the film festival. And I I will say as far as genre, it does feel like this year is more adventurous than other years. Yeah, yeah. I agree, and it's great. It's it's yeah. It makes me feel like, you know, I'm not just like a black sheep, you know. Like I'm always grateful to be accepted in the festival, um, but um, 
you know, uh, I'm always surprised too because Atlanta's so prestigious, and then my weird, disgusting stuff also gets to play too. <laughs> so I, uh, I always appreciate being welcomed back to the festival. How was the reception to content? It was good. Yeah, we got a lot of good laughs, and uh, some people responded great to like uh, a lot of the jokes. You know, when you watch your film a lot. With an audience, sometimes you're like, oh, I wish this was a little better or that was a little better. But, you know, overall, it took us two years to make this film. And we've been we've been calling it like a culmination type film because I've been making films for 18 years and Blake has been making films for a long time. And this is sort of a culmination of all of the skills we've learned and all of the aesthetics we've been collecting over the years. So it's really nice. It's like everything about the kitchen sink is is thrown into yeah. this movie. And we put our, ourselves... I literally put myself into the movie. I don't do that often. I don't often write myself as a character because I don't like to act. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it lent itself to the story to sort of, like, put myself and make fun of myself as a filmmaker. Sort of have a heightened version of yourself exactly. in the role. Yes, yes. In, in the role, yeah. Yeah, and it was, uh, you know, it, it was... I was happy to, like cast Clark to play the new and improved Brian so that way I didn't have to be in the whole movie. I was able to get back behind the camera where I, where I feel more comfortable. But he was able to play this very exaggerated version of, of myself, you know. And, and uh, yeah, he did a good job. I, I was really happy with all the performances, all the actors I feel like did a, did a good job. And and of course, I'm so happy that he didn't pass out wearing the lo-fi man costume because we were filming in June. And there could have been a, there could have been an accident if we weren't uh, if we weren't careful. But thankfully, everybody was okay, and yeah. nobody fainted, and nobody got overheated while we were filming. But yeah, filming took a long time. We shot in December, then we shot in April, May, June, July. Like one day here, one day there, an afternoon here, just to get it all done. That's fascinating because of the fact you know, and it's it's funny. I I I tried to make some of my own films. Uh, decades, about a decade and a half ago or so, I mean, I, I basically came to realize that writing about film was where my strength was, but, you know, it's like, I, one of the things I did was kind of a heightened version of myself, playing playing a really playing a film director with these absurd ideas yeah. making films, and it's like and one of, my, one of the short films that I tried to do, it was one of those cases where it's a day here, day there. It, it just got too ungainly to where a point. It's like, yeah, this just isn't going to put together well at all. But uh, so I definitely, I, I definitely uh, appreciate the challenge that that brings up, especially from a continuity standpoint. Yeah, it's yeah. We yeah. Uh, we were preparing. For the whole year and originally we were going to get a budget for this somebody was commissioning this film and uh unfortunately the budget fell through like one week before we were going to start filming but you know i hear horror stories about people preparing films and then it goes away and then they don't get to make that film like that's yeah. there's so much heartbreak in hollywood like where you know i think guillermo del toro said the natural state of a film is being unmade yeah. you know and that it's like a miracle that you get your film made at all, and it's even a, a, a miraculous miracle if it's good. So um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose this project because we had already prepared for a whole year, and I was ready to go. I was ready to film, and we just said, "We'll just, we'll do it ourselves." You know, we'll keep it low budget, like we always do. 
And luckily we're resourceful with like getting resources and locations. And as long as we feed our, our cast and our crew, everybody's happy. Nobody's expecting payment. Of course, I would love to pay them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this one was a challenge. You know, I think post-pandemic, a lot of people are reassessing their, uh, their lives and their jobs. So sometimes they, they can't commit like they used to or they're just getting older. And I understand that. I want to respect that. So yeah. I'm finding uh, I'm at a crossroads now where I need to think about, you know, how do I continue to make films and uh, what direction should I go in? You know, so. oh, and I will say, I, I think especially given given the title, and I'm not sure if the title came from a result of did the was the title content the Lo-Fi Man always the title content was always the title. Um, and then uh, we thought, you know, well, it should be, you know, if we call it content, it's going to be real hard to find it online. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of calling it, we, we had to call it something else. And then we figured, well, we'll model it after Tetsuo the Iron Man. Right. So it's content, the lo-fi man. But the character that he transforms into is always going to be called the lo-fi man. Mm-hmm. So we were, like, unsure of whether we call it content or we call it the lo-fi man. So we decided to call it both. Both. Makes sense. Um, because I, I do think, to a certain extent, the fact that this is more homemade, this is more low-budget, yeah. I I think benefits it because of the fact that, I mean, it it does feel very much... It Not only does it feel very much like the labor of love, but it also feels like, you know, it, it feels like a lot of those, those people live, who live-stream... You know the the people who your your character is at the beginning when they're trying to talk about Tetsuo, and it's like that. So much of what discussions of film we we recognize now is live streaming our videos on YouTube. Yeah, there's a lot of people online who are who are YouTubers who talk about films who used to make films or or trying to make films and they couldn't get a, make a go of it so then they're 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 fine with just like talking about films online yeah. and I find that so sad because <laughs> you know you want a person to continue to try but some people just don't want to continue to try and right. I don't want to push anybody into doing what they don't want to do but I do I do get sad when I, I know a person who is creative or wanted to be creative and it didn't it didn't work out for them you know I've been trying this over and over again making films for 18 years you know I went to school for film I graduated in 2005 and then from 2005 to now I've been making films and content the lo-fi man is film number 17 you know of, a, of a 18 years of, of post-college um, career and um, you know some are better than others some resonate more with others some are more successful at film festivals than others or win more awards but I'm I'm really proud of all of them. You know, they're like my children. Yeah. And uh, you love the ones that uh, have more flaws than others. And you know, I, one thing I, I appreciate about my work is that it doesn't look like high production value. You know, we try sometimes, but we are always wearing our budget and our aesthetics on our sleeves yeah. out in the open. You know, I wouldn't want my stuff to look too polished, you know, because then it, then there's like this line that's blurred where it's like, it looks like Marvel or it looks like yeah. television and stuff. And I always want it to look a little 
a little bit imperfect. You know, film festivals in like the early 2000s, well, actually from the 80s all the way to the early 2000s, I feel like you could shoot a film on Super 8 or VHS or 35 or 16, and they would look completely different from each other. Like, you would watch films on like adamfilms.com or or whatever, and uh, they would all look so different and so unique. Like, yeah. I love going back and I love watching films like uh, Kung Fu Kenobi's Great Adventure or Monkey vs. Robot or um, Invasion of the Aluminum People or Dawn of the Evil Millennium. You know, these filmmakers, like, make these rough-looking films, but they look, they feel alive to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, no, and I, I think a big part of that is the digital aspects, how so much of it, of filmmaking is now digital. And I mean, that is what, that does make me appreciate how filmmakers do, a lot of filmmakers do try to make films on film, because you can tell there's just such a, there's such, such a difference in the quality. It's not necessarily better or Prettier, but it's distinctive. Yeah, especially if they don't clean up the film, and you see the scratches and the pops and this oh, yeah. and that and the hairs. Those are, I like that. You know, I wouldn't want to like completely clean up my film. You know, yeah. we shot this digitally, but his whole transformation scene was shot with Super 8 and with uh, with the Black Magic camera. But then what we would do is we would edit together some stuff of the Black Magic, dump it to mini DV tape loaded up onto a CRT monitor and then film the CRT monitor with Super 8 so that way we get the scan lines of the television because oh, nice. there's a number of shots in Tetsuo the Iron Man that look like that where he was filming a monitor like a CRT monitor and uh, I love the the look of the scan lines you know going up and down the screen so we wanted to do that too in our film for the transformation scene you know to really hammer in the uh, the look that Shinji Tsukamoto was, was doing for, for Tetsuo Nice, nice. That's that's awesome. I mean, I I love you know and, uh, talking to talking to Jeff and one of the one of the things that I think both of you have very much have in common is first the way that you approach film is that you're you're approaching films from your influences, but putting a very distinctive spin on. It. And I I think in a way that not only is somebody who's familiar with those influences going to be able to pick up on but also even even if you're not familiar with it you can still find something that you, it'll still be entertaining yeah uh, Jeff and I had films in the same festival back in 2006 he had a short called Bubblecraft and uh, I had a short called Casket Climber Insect on his was all done with rotoscoping and I think it, I forget like what he shot it on but he did it all in the computer rotoscoping it and mine was shot on mini dv on a kitchen table with like little stick puppets and stuff like that <laughs> so it's cool to see like that we're at a festival again together but it truth be told um i've only met him like a night ago but i've i know him and i've known his work and we have mutual friends on the in the film festival world so i'm looking forward to like talking to him for a few minutes at least it's it's gonna be i'm i'm very curious what you're gonna think of Quantum Cowboys because I I did watch it beforehand and uh, it's I I really was so taken by it it's such a such a really entertaining movie but also one that is very enlightening and I I love the use of animation I love the 
I, I love the way he brings the story together. It's such cool. an interesting story. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. You know, I know he has a unique look to his film, so that's another thing that I'm excited about being here at this film festival. It's like there's a number of films that I want to go see, and they're all by filmmakers who have a very unique look and style to them. So not everything looks like, you know, uh, like a like a indie darling coming out of Sundance or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. But uh, I, I am actually, I'm, I am going to uh, be checking out the short film blog, the content was Oh, cool. Because I, I did miss it last night, but I, I do want to see what other films were, it was in a blog with because of the fact that they, they always, their, their short film blogs are always so fascinating to see the progressions of. Yeah. And I mean, especially, especially this being like late night short films it, it's it's gonna be wild one to see i'm sure it is uh and uh there's a couple of friends of mine who have films in the block calvin readers harbor island and uh, ryan betchart's uh lee roth fog uh film both of those are completely different and uh i love them both and the other films in the block uh the other filmmakers that were here uh goose egg the filmmakers make goose egg they're here at the festival and then um shelf life those filmmakers are here. And I just loved how different every film looked in the block. You know, it all looked like, you know, they were, everybody was like hand making their movies. And yeah. I really appreciate seeing that now. Never, everything doesn't look uniform anymore, you know? And I think like filmmakers are starting to rebel against that and yeah. go back and making their films look imperfect and rough. So I'm excited to see that. No, and I, I think that's 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 why that's why it is so important for somebody whether it's whether it's a film critic whether it's a typical uh, just just a regular audience member I think why it's so important to look beyond even the studio indies like A twenty four Neon and stuff like that and yeah they put out tremendous work but it's like. That's why it's important for people to come to festivals, I think. Because of the fact that it's like you're you're basically looking at films from filmmakers with their own voice. Yeah. And I think that's one of the common threads of film festivals and of some of the strongest film festivals like Atlanta. Where it's like you even there's there's something it, it's coming from a very specific voice. I think that's that's great. That it's important for people to connect with that. Yeah. And uh, the other takeaway from uh, watching the late night shorts last night was that a person can make a film about anything with anything, and like if it's if it's a good enough idea or or it's done executed well enough, like you, it's enjoyable. You know, yeah. there was one about a fly who dies, and there's this whole movie about making a movie about this fly that dies. And uh, it just really showed me, like, wow, you can make a film about anything without, with any means necessary. There's another film that's going to play at, on a, in a shorts block on Tuesday where it was all done with dolls and, and little, like, toy cars and stuff like that. And it reminded me of um, Superstar, the Karen Carpenter story, which is by Todd Haynes, who did Far From Heaven and the documentary about the Velvet Underground. His first movie was about Karen Carpenter from The Carpenters, but he told it with Barbie dolls. You know, so it just shows that persistence of uh, that compulsion to create. 
through yeah. any means necessary, you know, and I, I find that incredibly inspiring, you know, it makes yeah. me remember like, okay, don't, don't doubt yourself, you know, stick through it, get it finished, you know, and start thinking of a new idea, you know. Speaking of new ideas, <laughs> do you have that new idea? Not yet, okay. not yet, because this one took so long. Truth be told, I wasn't sure if I had another one in me after this right. because it was so hard to get this one made. But now that it's done and it's out there and people like you are watching it and understanding what we were trying to do with it, it's certainly uh, making me like think like, okay, I, I could definitely make another I can I make another film. I just don't know what it is yet. Right. Well, I'm certainly glad to hear that and it's it's been so great to talk to you. Yeah, well, thank and, you so much. You know, be able to talk to you about your film, about filmmaking in general, and just about uh, just about film yeah. in general. Well, but, yeah, it's important. We're at a film festival, not a content festival. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's made me think. Like, I wonder if there's more to explore with content. If I did a sequel, you know, because ever since we finished the film. All this AI stuff has started like really rapidly yeah. happening. So it had me thinking like, well, should we have Lo-Fi Man versus AI Man next? <laughs> <laughs> oh, should that be that, nice? That's so. that. You know, and the thing is, it's like there's so much content that almost feels like it's written by AI. Yeah, there's so many films and TV shows that kind of feel like they're written by AI yeah. anyway. Yeah. So it's like, really? This is, <laughs> this is no. Well, yeah, there's such a glut of yeah. streaming services and, and this and that, so they're they're just, you know, it's kind of like when uh, 24-hour television was introduced, they're like, well, we got to fill it with air, you know, we got to fill the airtime with stuff, so yeah. they would either, like, play movies over and over again, like the Million Dollar Movie, or they would uh, play old reruns of I Love Lucy, yeah. so now they're just... Uh, Greenlighting all these shows, so it almost makes it feel like you have a TV show and it's not that special. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, oh, I have a TV show, but like, if it's on, you know, Crackle or something, it's yeah. only exclusive to Crackle. You know, I mean, still, hey, good for you. That's that's great. That's you nothing know, to sneeze and, and at. The thing so. is, it's it's double edged sword because of the fact that it's like you've got you you've got you might. It feels like, to a certain extent, more people are able to get films or TV made, or at least produced to a point where it's released. It feels like that. I'm sure the reality is different, very yeah. different from a creative standpoint. But at the same time, like you, like you said, it's not necessarily special anymore. It's just, it's just something else for streaming services to make available that will likely get buried in the algorithm. Yeah. What's special, what's, what is special to me is like for, a, for a, somebody to seek you out and curate your work to be part of their collection. You yeah. know, something like uh, the Criterion Collection or Arrow, you know, those, those people care and they want to curate work and present it in a, in a, as, yeah. as nicely as possible. So it makes you feel like you've been chosen. So that's to me, is, is pretty special. Yeah. But, uh, what do you, uh, so I mean, I know you're watching the uh, Quantum Cowboys today. What else are you going to be watching after that? I'm not sure. I might try and see a shorts block. 
Um, but I have to like see about getting a ticket to that. Um, and then I've got a few things lined up for tomorrow that I might try and do, like experimental shorts. And uh, I might... Oh, I, I think I was going to try and see Final Cut. Okay.